Welcome to this episode of Spiritual Hustle. I'm Anthony Filipovich, and along with co-host Justin Sabinski, we're very pleased to welcome Ken Kinnikin to the podcast today. Welcome, Ken. Good to be here. Ken, I hear that you're a chiropractic doctor. Correct. And the founder of Swiss. Correct. And can you please explain a little bit of what Swiss is? Okay, I started Swiss about 20 years ago, and it's Society of Weight Training Injury Specialists. Basically, my focus has always been on weight training and injuries and how to recover from them. So I created about 20 years ago an organization of like-minded uh, individuals that focus in on the prevention, treatment, and rehabilitation of weight training injuries. So basically a whole new field of weight training sports medicine. Because right. the weight training injury is a lot different than, say, an injury you would suffer in, say, football or hockey, which is more collision. This is you know, you're trying to lift as heavy a weight as possible. And most of the gains is done at the very, very high level intensity, which if you go beyond the tissue capacity, can create an injury. Now the trick is, how do you heal that? Sometimes it's just time, you know, for most strains and everything else. The challenge that you have, though, is that you go back into the gym, you can be without back pain, but as soon as you go back into the gym, and now you have a problem again because you can't lift the weight because that amount of stress exposes the problem again. So the whole thing is how do you optimally heal that? And uh, it can be either through soft tissue uh, treatments such as active release technique. You can use acupuncture. You can use uh, if there's a joint-related issue, a neurological-related issue. Chiropractic treatments are fantastic. There's some physiotherapy techniques that work fantastic. Um, so you have to, uh, first, one, identify what is the problem. Is it a muscle problem? Is it a joint problem? Is it a you know, uh, nerve problem or a biochemical issue? Once you identified one or all three or all four problems, then what is the reasonable treatment that you would utilize to help them recover so that they can get back into the gym and uh, lift as heavy as they want to? So it would, it would, that, that protocol could be applied to any type of injury. 100%. It's not just sports injuries. It's, it's, it's not just sports injuries. You know, half of my practice are people that lift weights. The other half are people that will never lift weights. Right. Um, so if you're a construction worker and you hurt your back, um, that is something that I can help you with. If, you, if you're an office worker and you're sitting 8, 10, 12 hours a day, you go into what is known as maladaptive shortening in the sense of your hip flexor muscles, uh, psoas muscle, can shorten. And then when you try and stand up, all of a sudden you have back pain. Right. And that's where you can get back pain from sitting too much. So I, I think you hit on something early on that, that I, I feel like for weightlifters, uh, especially people starting out getting into weight training, have to understand is that um, it, the, the growth in the, in the muscle, in the, in the, in the, in the tearing, uh, my understanding, that, that stuff happens on the, on the last couple reps, the ones where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to lift this, um, and you're, you're struggling, and you have this mental block, and you just push through it. And that's also where the injuries can happen also. So you're right. Is, is that correct? Yeah. What we tend to see is that if you're going from, say, rep one to rep five, say you do a set of three in, uh, in a bench press or a set of five in a squat, you're actually training the neurological system, not necessarily the muscular system. Mm. Mm. If you go from about rep six to 10 to 12, you're getting muscle hypertrophy. 
So the very first few reps with the heavy, heavy, as heavy weight as you can, you're training the nervous system. You're teaching them uh, the body to contract all the muscles all at the same time, and that's a neurological influence. Mm. Once you start getting into the reps 8 to 10, which is most exercise programs, that's usually the crossover of you know less on the strength from neurological input and more into muscular development. So this would be the bodybuilding, the fitness, the toning type of aspect. If you go higher, you go 15, 20, 30, 100 reps. Now you're actually training the system cardiovascular-wise. So you can build up more capillaries uh, into that, more blood supply to that because it's very lightweight, but it's enough to stress the cardiovascular system. So it's depending on what you actually want to accomplish. So for myself, I compete in powerlifting. So it's a combination of the squat the bench press and the deadlift and what i do with that is i try and lift as heavy a weight as i can and i'll do you know say five sets of five so you know five repetitions at a certain weight and i'll do that for five sets um if i'm going into a bodybuilding i would go higher uh, as far as the repetition so it all depends on what you're trying to accomplish mm. that's interesting so, so yeah. that'd be like I, I don't know why I just find, I find that so so interesting that that the first few reps are are um, they, like they affect the uh, the nervous system and the uh, the, the the myelin I guess. Um, um, it actually has to do with um, uh, contraction and contraction ability. Okay. So you're you're teaching the nervous system to increase the amount of uh, muscle fibers that are firing uh, on that. So if my same my bench press is maximum is two hundred pounds. I can maybe do 190 pounds for two, maybe three repetitions. And that would be the, the strength training neurological. If I bring the weight down to, say, 150 pounds, um, all of a sudden I can do eight or 10 reps. So that would be more muscle hypertrophy if I work in that area. If I bring it down to, say, 75 pounds and I can do 100 reps at that, more cardiovascular. cardiovascular. So it all depends. But you need a heavy enough weight and it has to be maximal effort you know, on that to get that neurological strength. Mm. Very interesting. Okay. And you wouldn't and have it, very much muscle breakdown at that time. You're not really sore after the workout. That's with the, uh, the hundred reps. That, no, with the, um, with the uh, low amount of uh, repetition. Yeah. With okay. the high intensity. Okay, cool. That That's all very interesting to me because um, I've done so many different types of workouts. Uh, in my lifetime. And, and for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm actually doing workouts of a uh, hundred reps or more. And I'm just finding it fascinating watching my body change shape yep. a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and what happens is that you adapt to any, any program. So after four to six to eight weeks of any program, whether it's a heavy weight or it's a lightweight or uh, repetition level, the body adapts and now it doesn't become as effective. So now you switch it up. Now you actually increase the repetition or decrease the repetitions based on that. And that's called periodization. So and this, try and change it up. This stuff is so much more mental than what people realize. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Not, yeah, because it's not only, I mean, you can explain this better than me, but it's not only just, just doing the workouts, but it's like you, when, when you're doing the lifts and you're like, I don't know if I can do another one. And, yeah. it, and you have to push through that or, or you're just not even going to get the workout, the, yeah. the, the stuff that you're talking about later on. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. And then, and then also on top of that, then you, then you have the, the, the injuries. So I guess my question is uh, when it comes to joints and powerlifting, mm -hmm. um, is it worth the risk? 
Well, if you do it intelligently, um, there is no risk. Oh, really? In fact, uh, the exact opposite. So they looked at, they had one study and they looked at uh, guys who squatted, you know, 500, 600, 700 pounds were competitive powerlifters. And they did x-rays on their knees and they actually had less osteoarthritis than the general public. Really? Yeah. So if you do it intelligently and if you don't push it too hard for too long, that's where everyone makes a mistake. They, they try and force the system and they don't know when to shut it down or to take breaks. And then that's where the injuries start to occur. And, and where the, the muscle is growing, it, it, like when, it, when people actually say like their muscles are growing, like, you know, you, you get that, that pump when you're at the gym, uh-huh. um, but your muscles aren't actually growing at the gym. They're growing when, uh, when you sleep, right? Or Well, the biggest how's thing that that you, what you're trying to do is stimulate a response. And so there's two different types of muscle growth. Uh, one type of growth is where you expand the size of the actual fiber. Uh, of the muscle fiber. The other one is you get more muscle fibers. It's called hyperplasia. So those are two different types of scenarios. And only when you stress the body enough that it will grow either way. The other way is if you build enough capillaries within the actual uh, muscle, you get more blood supply to that. So that gives the illusion of muscle growth too. So it's an expansion uh, of fluid in the area. And that would also, uh, you see that with a lot of the competitive bodybuilders. That's just temporary, right? That's temporary. Well, it's temporary in the sense of as long as you train that style, right. it will remain. If okay. you don't train that style, it will get smaller. Well, technically, I mean, wouldn't you think that all of this stuff is temporary if, you're, if you if you don't uh, you stop? You just, if you just stop? Um, yeah, but it's, I think it would be the same thing as food. You know, you're satiated until you stop eating. So it's not to say that, you know, you, yeah, it, I don't know about the word temporary. <laughs> yeah, I, look at the, I look at my human body and I go, that's temporary. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you, yeah, you, you need to, you need to continue to exercise in order to look good. So mm-hmm. bottom line. Yes. And how much does a uh, diet play into this? Uh, depends on what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're going into a competition, a bodybuilding competition, it's probably at least 70%. Training becomes less and less important because you're trying to retain the muscle and trying to drop the body fat. So that's where it becomes difficult. This is where you start seeing people, you carry your own food around because it's all properly measured and you know what's in it. And all those small little uh, nuances uh, make a big, big difference. For the general public, I would say it's about 60-40, maybe 50-50, or 50%. If someone is grossly overweight, diet plays a huge, huge part, and so does hormonal health. So a lot of times, if your thyroid hormones are off or your testosterone or anything else, you can have the perfect diet, you can have the perfect training, and you will still have issues because um, the impact of the food and the training will be less because you don't have the hormonal system to back it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, just to, to show two extremes of that, that the diet, I, I know a, um, uh, an Ironman runner who um, he takes his cottage cheese in the morning and he, he, he rinses it. He rinses the, uh, the juices off of it so he gets a, just a little bit more uh, healthier, he says. And then uh, on the opposite end of that spectrum, I, I knew somebody who I worked with who was morbid, morbidly obese and she lost 25 pounds just by stop drinking chocolate milk 
Yeah, that's thing you talk about. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, it's all it's all the small little things, and they can make an impact on it. But it depends on how far the extreme that you want to take it. Cool. So, little I know about bodybuilding. Basically, less reps build muscle. Um, more reps to like just to get toned, toned more, right? No, no, that's completely wrong. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make a distinction. Right. Let's be more specific. So, if you want to gain strength, you think as far as a high intensity, so heavy weight, low amount of uh, sets, low amount of reps for strength. For strength, right. strength training specifically. If you want more muscle hypertrophy, as far as uh, looking toned, right. so looking toned and um, uh, building muscle is the same thing because that's what tone is. It's basically muscle, but not bulk. Well, you can be bulky and still be toned. It's still toned, okay. So when you see some of these competitive bodybuilders that are extreme low body fat level, but they're say five foot four and they're two hundred and fifty pounds. So you look at them, they look bulky, but there's no fat on them. Right. So, so that's what you have to really make the distinction. So if you want muscle hypertrophy, that would be more of a medium weight, uh, medium amount of sets, and also repetitions. So this would be your four sets of eight to 10. So this would be the standard program that you see most people in the gym. And if you want more cardiovascular, for whatever reason, then you increase the amount of repetitions. So this is your 50 to 100 repetition. You know, so now you're building the metabolism. And this is what all these uh, different uh, places are starting to come around, whether it be CrossFit or F45 or Orange Theory or anything else. They're not, what they're trying to do is train the metabolism. You're training the metabolism in the sense of you're building up the enzyme systems in order to support um, the loss of fat. Because if you don't have enough uh, mitochondria or lipoprotein lipase, which is a major enzyme to break down the fat, um, you won't basically be able to utilize and, and to lose that fat. So it all depends on what you're trying to do. So, What do you know about the, the mitochondria? Is, that, is it something that you know stuff about? Because I find yeah. the mitochondria fascinating. Yeah. So tell us about well, the powerhouse of the cell. So the, the mitochondria, um, if you want to increase it, so what it does is it takes in energy and it uh, produces energy, um, ATP. Um, yes. Yeah. And so what you want to do, if you, if you do aerobic training three times a week for 15 minutes, you can double the amount of mitochondria within about six months. That's what some aerobic. of the are starting to show. So if, if you're trying to utilize that, so if you're very impaired, so this is why you see when they, when they start an exercise program, most people get discouraged because they're only there for a, year, uh, a month and they're like, ah, I don't see a lot of changes. Well, you haven't been doing it long enough. You haven't trained long enough in order to, you know, create a specific, you know, adaptation. It's called the SED principle and it's in training. It's called specific adaptation to impose demand. What I mean by that is if I'm trying to increase my, my mitochondria, would weight training do that a lot? Probably not. Um, would um, aerobic training do that? Yeah. So if I trained, you know, even, even 15 minutes, three times a week, you can actually increase the mitochondria. And literally in, in months' time, now you're burning calories outside of the gym. So when you're watching TV, your whole basal metabolic has increased your ability to burn calories all the time has increased 
And there's a number of different reasons, but it's more metabolic. And that's what all these different uh, facilities that we're starting to see, where it's uh, group exercise and uh, intensity training, as far as instead of just standard weight training, you know, they're doing the battling ropes and they're doing, you know, burpees and all this other stuff. And they're creating a cardiovascular event without necessarily being on a treadmill. So it's a lot of different ways that you can utilize that. That's awesome. Yeah, the uh, the mitochondria produces energy inside your body, so it's like uh, it's a, it's something that that I've been focusing on simply because I want to see how much energy I can produce in my body. And um, and, and uh, I didn't, I haven't been doing enough car- cardio. So yeah, step that up. That that makes a big difference. And that makes- good for not and, and and you also brought up a good point. Also, it's this isn't a one month thing that this these 30 day diets 21 day workout things this is a your life you just have to put this into your life along with the other stuff that you do in your life like meditation and eating um and uh yeah and it some of the studies have shown that if you want to create a habit you need to do it 21 days in a row if you want to create a lifetime habit you need to do it for six months and if you do it for six months you may get away from training, but you'll always go back to it because it becomes part of your lifestyle and it's something is missing if it's not there. So those are some of the things and it's just the consistency of, of, of trying to do that. And the consistency is the most important part, putting the time in, being patient and just, you know, allowing time to work and make sure everything is working optimally. Yeah. And, and, the beauty of it is that you get to see it. You get to see it on your physical body over a couple of months. And, yes. you know, especially when you first start out and you get that first three weeks of like, oh, I'm, you know, muscular. Uh, but then there's that, <laughs> there's that, that first plateau. Yeah. And, um, and then six months, seven months later, you start seeing, seeing stuff, some, some consistent results. I, I bring that up because it's like um, when it comes to meditation, you don't get to see those, those nice results. You, you can feel them and, and stuff, but um, um, girls won't show up and, and, and be like, hey, Justin, your, your brain is so much more clear. You know, no, no <laughs> But I have had girls say, whoa, Justin, you, you've been going to the gym lately. And, and then, you know, and they usually think it's been like for like three weeks, but it's, it, that took three years for that to work out. You know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So doing the exercise increases the number of mitochondria. Yes. How, how do you get more energy into each mitochondria? How do you, how do you increase it's, it? it's part of the training. So again, as you train your metabolism by doing sort of uh, full body type of exercises, where whether it's you know the burpees, the battling ropes, where you move these ropes, giant ropes, you know all those things. Um, you change the metabolisms to preferentially burn fat instead of glucose. Right. And that's what you're always trying to do. You know, at, at the symposium this year, we did uh, uh, one of the presentations was with uh, Ed McNeely and uh, Scott Christie. And what it is, it's blood lactate testing. So what you do is it looks like a glucose meter, but it measures the amount of blood lactate. So um, I remember a few years ago, um, I was trying to run and I couldn't. As soon as my heart rate got to 140, 145, 150, I felt like coughing up a lung. I, I just couldn't train. So Scott Christie, who's a chiropractor now, and he's done a lot of the metabolic testing for major sports, he um, 
He says, well, let's do your blood lactate. I said, okay, so how do we do this? He says, well, let's just start you off with walking. We're going to have you on a treadmill, no incline. Uh, we're going to start at 2.5, which is you know not a very fast walk. Right. Uh, my heart rate at that time was about 90, 95. My <laughs> blood lactate, which is about the same as you and me sitting here, was 1.2 millimoles. Um, so then we, you know, we did that, we tested it, and then we increased the speed to three. I'm still walking. My heart rate went to about 105, blood lactate 1.2. Went to 3.5, heart rate went to about 110, 115, blood lactate 1.2. Went to a uh, speed of four on the treadmill, flat, still walking, but I'm walking quickly now. Um, heart rate went to 142. Blood lactate went to 3.2. So it literally almost tripled in, in literally in, in a two-minute span. And so the test was done. He says, yeah, you can't run. <laughs> because I trained my system from powerlifting to lift heavy weights for a short period of time. Oh, So I didn't have the enzyme systems nor the mitochondria in order for me to run. So in order for me to build up that system, I had to train on a treadmill of a heart rate of about 125, 128. And once I do that, because as soon as I go to, to four and my heart rate is at 145, I'm not burning any fat. I'm not preferentially building any enzyme systems because now I've gone into just burning up the glucose. And that's why I was able, I, all of a sudden, I just produced way too much lactate. So mm. as, I, as I went down and trained at that lower level, my, uh, my lactate, was I, I was able to buffer it. So all of a sudden, my ability to handle uh, the fat and build up the fat enzymes in order to break it down and be utilized as fuel had shifted. And then I was able to basically increase it so that I was able to run. We did about 100 tests in the clinic. We used to do this in the clinic. And uh, there was this one lady, I remember she came in and she her eating was perfect. Her uh, training was okay. And she just couldn't lose weight. So we said, well, let's do the blood lactate test. So her training heart rate. So I told you mine was 125. Uh, her training heart rate was 95 because her metabolism was so altered that as soon as that she would, you know, do any walking and she got her heart rate over a hundred, she would uh, be uh, burning glucose and not building up any fat enzymes. You see, the purpose of doing cardiovascular workouts is actually to build and change the metabolism. It's not to burn calories. You're going to burn 100, 150 calories in a workout. Big deal. You know, that, that's, a, that's a chocolate bar. You know, so it doesn't really make any sense. What you do want to do with the training is identify what is the proper heart rate that you're trying to do and then work at that level and then continually monitor it and see how much that you can increase it. And that's sorry that builds a proper enzyme base that it builds up the proper enzymes the mitochondria and everything else you change yeah. your metabolism the purpose of doing a lot of the cardio work is to change the metabolism not to burn calories that's amazing because I, I never yeah. I never knew that yeah I'm, I'm glad yeah I'm glad you said that that's amazing because I, I didn't want to gloss over this because well that's huge two, two, two facts were, were released there that one people are definitely uh, according to what, what you're saying I'm, I, I can attest to this that People are definitely over doing overdoing the, the cardio. The cardio they're going over their um, their their uh, heart rate the, the, and, um, and and pushing themselves too too hard. And um, and then the second thing is is the fact that um, you're not burning calories uh, no. very much calories. So like the, you know you're on the treadmill and people are like staring at the calorie count 
Yeah. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, you, you drink the protein shake afterwards and it's like, well, what did I even do here? Exactly. So it's like, that, that's not a calories are, it's just a measurement of energy. Right. So it's, um, correct. It's, a uh, not a good way to, to, to look at working out. No. And, and you've got to understand what, what is the actual purpose? And then you want to identify what is it for myself? Cause we're all biochemically different. So there may be, yeah. like, I mean, I know athletes that, you know, their training heart rate is 160. You know, for me, it was 125. You know, uh, everyone is different, you know, metabolically, um, neurologically, all of those different aspects. So one is to assess and to identify where are you and then what is the proper training protocol? Because I could have trained at 140, 145 and would have gotten nowhere, nowhere, because I'm not training correct heart rate for myself and it's counterintuitive in order for me to progress i actually have to be less intense yeah that's, that's, society, that's huge we're we're always pushing our bodies yeah. to to be at the highest level but not understanding that when you go at that level is it the right level for you at that time where do we uh what is there a place that you could go and get tested get that test um there, there are certain places you can either do blood lactate testing. Another one is where they measure your, uh, they, they use a metabolic heart and they measure your um, uh, max VO2. So from that, you can get, it's called your RQ fraction, and you can also uh, determine that. So there are some different facilities that it's called a metabolic heart max VO2. And from that, you can determine, you can either do it through blood or you can do it through breath either way. Yeah, I'm writing this down because that's uh, that's very important. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's extremely important, and it's a piece that's missed. You know that uh, most people don't realize. And um, if you're able to identify it, it's kind of like you know asking someone, "Well, what's your cholesterol level?" Well, you don't know until you actually test it. What's your blood sugar? Are you hypoglycemic? Are you a diabetic? Don't know. So until you have the ability to assess and to measure it and see where you're where you are, that's where you can make all the biggest changes. And now you can change your diet, you can change your training, you can change your supplementation in order to optimize the system. Yeah, and um, I, it just that that just kind of like remind me of um, I used to do workouts with this uh, with with one of my gym buddies, and um, and I just remember doing the exact same workouts as him and getting zero results. Yep. And, and now this is, and he was getting great results uh, during that time. So I, I've dealt with uh, people with Swiss. I've been doing it since 1999. So I've had the top bodybuilders of all time come and present. So in 2001, I had Dorian Yates. Dorian Yates, six-time Mr. Yep. Olympia from England. And Dorian, he trains extremely heavyweight, Low amount of sets, low amount of reps, and his hypertrophy is unbelievable. So he's a six-time Mr. Olympia, top contest of all time. In 2002, I had Lee Haney present. Mm -hmm. And Lee Haney's an eight-time Mr. Olympia. And what he does is higher sets, higher reps, lower weight. And that is the art of, of training because I asked both of them. So I asked Dorian, have you ever tried doing the high rep, high high?" Uh, uh, sets and low weight and he says yeah it didn't work for me and i asked lee haney did the low low uh, uh reps low uh, sets 
heavy, heavy weight. Did that work for you? He says, no, I work really good with higher reps and higher um, uh, uh, sets with a medium weight to try and get the hypertrophy. And that's the art of training because neurologically and biochemically, they respond to training differently. And it's based, so, on, the, it's based on the individual. It, completely. Uh, yeah, and it, it's their the genetics, with, their hormonal pathways, everything. You know, and everything is, everything is you know, uh, level because when you get to that level, you know, any, everybody's on anabolic steroids. So it's not as if, you know, they're taking a magic drug. They're all taking the magic drug. <laughs> so you take that out of the equation and it's like what works for them. And, and the cool part is, is that you're dealing with someone who's a six-time Mr. Olympian, eight-time Mr. Olympian, and they were undefeated. And th- that shows you the consistency of that. If it was a one-off, if they won once, yeah, maybe, maybe not. You do that six times in a row or eight times in a row, you know, literally that, that's almost a decade that you were the top of the world. Your training worked for you. Would it work for everyone? No. And that's the art of training. You have the science as far as what, you know, the muscle fibers and the hormonal pathways and all that. The art of training is what works best for me. And that's, and it's, that's always the challenge. And it's the same, it was the, it, it's the same uh, competition too. So it's just, it's fascinating that uh, two separate different types of workouts um, would win uh, yes. the same competition. And um, the cool and part is that they identified it for themselves. They, that's but, crazy. And without doing it crazy. Well, there is no real test on that, okay. not yet. Uh, I think we're getting closer to that as far as doing muscle fiber, but it's basically just trial and error. Right. Trial, and error. trial and error. Yeah, so um, I a few months ago, I was uh, in, in, I'm going into the, the diet now. I, I used to think, if you wanted to be healthy, you got to eat, you got to be vegan. You got to be a vegetarian. You have to eat only vegetables and, and all this stuff. And, and if you're eating meat, then you're a disgusting person and, and you're unhealthy. And then um, one of my best, my favorite people in the world, Jordan Peterson comes out and he says he only, he only eats meat. And it basically saved his daughter's life that, that she started um, only eating meat. And then, so he started doing it and, and he said he lost all this weight and he was super uh-huh. healthy. And then it was like, um, I like had to like rethink how I thought what health was. And it was like, okay, this has to be at the individual level because yeah. it, if, if meat is what's making singular meat is making what uh, this person super healthy, um, then, then this vegan stuff um, maybe is making some people super healthy. And those are the people that are pushing the veganism. Um, but it, you have to do the trial and error. You have to see, well, what did I eat today? What were my workouts for the day, and um, and this this is just is just reinforcing the individuality of this whole of this whole system. Absolutely, and and again, we're getting closer to be able to 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 do tests to determine, you know, the amount of fat, the amount of and carbohydrates and protein that you should be eating. A classic example is my brother. My brother uh, got up to about two hundred and fifty pounds. He decided that he wanted to compete in bodybuilding uh, contest, so he went on the classic. <coughs> High carbohydrate, medium protein, low fat diet. A lot of bodybuilders use. Um, he didn't lose any weight, so he went on more of a 30, 30, 30 type diet. It's called the Mediterranean diet. He lost maybe five pounds. Uh, and there was a diet by Dr. Mauro Di Pasquale. It's called the anabolic diet. It's a high fat diet. So it's seventy percent fat, twenty five percent protein, five percent carbs. He got down to one hundred and ninety five pounds. Absolutely ripped, shredded. His wife, who was also competing. She also tried to do the diet as far as the high fat diet in literally about two weeks, damn near killed her. 
you know, she was getting yeah. busy, not feeling well and all that. For my brother, not only did he get in the best shape of his life and he had energy uh, uh, that was incredible, his, his actual personality had changed where he was always on edge. He was always kind of edgy and, you know, almost angry at times and everything else. And so I saw him at the contest. I was in Vancouver um, at that time uh, teaching to a bunch of doctors and I had breakfast with them. And, you know, obviously I've known my brother all his whole life. And, and as I'm talking to him, he's nice, he's kind, <laughs> everything else, instead of being the prick that he can be. And, um, you know, I look at his wife, Simone, and I go, who is this? He's, he's a different person. She goes, yeah, I know. It's unbelievable. So he competes. He plays second, you know, in this contest. And then we go out to Dairy Queen. He wolfs down two uh, banana splits because he's been on this, you know, structured diet for, you know, months on end. And literally within about 30 minutes, the prick was back. His, his wow. edginess, his personality had changed literally right in front of me. And so he cannot tolerate um, carbohydrates. He's fantastic at utilizing fats as an energy source genetically, metabolically. So I was just back in Kelowna uh, over uh, the Christmas time visiting my parents and my brother and sister. And I said, so what are you eating right now? He says, I eat salad and I eat uh, a lot of steak. And I went, cool. See, he knows better than to, you know, eat a lot of carbohydrates because he doesn't feel as good. His personality changes. He just gets edgy and everything else. So everyone is so metabolically different. And that's why you have the ketogenic diets and the paleo diet and all these different diets. And everyone's like, well, which one should I do? Depends on your enzyme system, depending on what you can actually tolerate. And we're starting to get better and better to trying to determine what is the state of your body? What would be the best diet for you? And it's not vegan or vegetarianism or anything else of that nature. Certain people are hypersensitive to a chicken or to a beef or anything else. Um, and there's, you know, different reasons why they should be eating that. And Jordan Peterson, you know, I heard that, you know, interview on Joe Rogan with him and he's on the carnivore diet and yeah, that's yeah. fantastic for him. You know, he lost the weight and his, his daughter, she, she needed to be, you know, eat the protein and not just the carbohydrates and the vegetables. Yeah. So, so yeah, so you, you know, that whole story. Awesome. Um, um, what do you think about, um, intermittent fasting also because that, that's something that joe rogan is yeah big. you know what if, if you think about it it's what are you going to eat in eight hours so what you do is that you just cut out 16 hours <laughs> literally so you're not going to eat for 16 hours so that means that you're going to get a condensed amount of calories in that short period of time whatever period is so therefore probably not going to eat as many calories because you, you don't have a whole lot of time there are biochemical changes, without a doubt, and for certain people, it works fantastic. Other people have tried it. It doesn't work. So, again, it's a trial and error type thing. There's something like 2,200 different diets that are out there right now. They all work. It's just that they don't all work for you. And I, I just make the same analogy as far as you got to try it. you got to put it on. It's no different than a shirt. I've walked into many places and I go, Oh my God, that's an awesome looking shirt. I put it on and it's for a metrosexual guy who's got no <laughs> back. He's got no arms, you know, and I put the, you know, button up shirt on and I'm almost blown off the buttons, you know, and it just doesn't look good at all. But on the rack on a metrosexual, you know, statue mm. looks fantastic. 
So you got to try on these different types of diets. You got to find out what works for you. And I think over the next five years, we're going to get to proper diagnostic testing of the blood, of the urine, of the saliva to determine what is the state of your metabolism, what is the enzyme system uh, set up for, how is your hormonal system set up and measured and interpreted and seeing what would work best. And then where is the dysfunction? Because there's always all these different metabolic dysfunctions that can occur. And we see that a lot with insulin. So all of a sudden, as the fat cell gets bigger um, and the muscle cell, the amount of insulin receptors decrease. So all of a sudden, you end up with what is known as diabetes type 2. So shifting gears here a little little bit, um, when over the past couple of years, when I switched into this spiritual-ish kind of guy, and then I got even more deeper into it, I found that there is a huge disconnect between the meditation people and, and these people who sit there for hours meditating and then the, the gym rats. And I never understood why there's such a disconnect. I always felt like if you get your body in check, you can utilize that body as a basically an energetic system to um, become, uh, to have deeper meditations and stuff. Um, is, is, does that make sense in a way? Like, um, like you should be using your body to help uh, improve your mental capacity as well. Yeah, because I think the biggest thing is is to try and be as healthy. So if your neurotransmitters are off, and there's four major ones that you have, you have GABA, acetylcholine, serotonin, dopamine. And so exercise changes the neurotransmitters. It changes your metabolism. So you're actually able to utilize food properly and to convert it into energy. And one of the biggest uses uh, in, in the body is the brain. I think it's about 30% of all calories. 25, 30%, yeah. Yeah, utilized by the brain. So if you're metabolically off, forget it. So Joe Rogan was talking about this. He went through sober October, and they were training four hours a day. So Joe, who's known basically to be smoking every day, you know, uh, (laughs) the cannabis and drinking and everything else, and him and his buddies decide to do the sober October and no drinking, no smoke, no nothing. And Joe said when he was training for four hours a day, he never felt better. He said if you could put that into a pill, it'd be unbelievable. He never felt happier, more content. Um, I think with training is a different form of meditation. Um, I'm a huge believer in present time consciousness. It's not living in the past. It's not living in the future. It's learning on how do you shut off your brain, not have 15 different conversations going on in your head at the same time. And how do you live presently? And if you do that, that is probably the most powerful state that you could ever get into. Weight training does that 100%. You got zero conversations, or at least you should, in your head other than being as positive as possible and, and focusing so much on that present time. You, you can't do anything, especially when you're lifting the heavy weight. And once you do, there's a sense of accomplishment with that. And that releases a whole cascade of endorphins and keflins, all these different things. you got the runner's high, but you also have the weight training high. It changes everything. And meditation is a different form of that, uh, but they both, I think, are very, very powerful. Yeah, it's like uh, meditation is like a, a clearing kind of kind of thing so that, so that um, 
like so, so you can feel more of the subtleties of the of the neurotransmitters kind of yeah. pinging off in your brain and then um so when you go and you do a, a, a set or um you really push yourself and you just get that last one and you're, yeah. you're going you're going down like that and um and you get <laughs> it up and it's it's one of the it's a great feeling and it it's is. like you get that every sing every other day and it's like yeah. like why wouldn't you want that great feeling you know and it's and it's achievable by anyone and you can do a walking meditation. You know, uh, a friend of mine, I'm going to go out uh, with her, said, the labyrinth. So this is that walking circle. And apparently there's one uh, here in Port Credits and uh, a few different places. Oh, yeah. So those are really powerful where you walk through. You've seen those, the circles yeah, yeah. and all that. And it, it changes. It changes everything. You know, there's, there's, I'm not sure how it works, but it does work. It puts you into a meditative state. state. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think anything that you put into the moment, whether it's meditation or working out, um, is, is important, critical, right? Because the more you're in that state, I think the, the happier you'll be and the more and the less stressed you'll be, which means you, you, give, you give the body an opportunity to heal too. Very, very much so. But I think even with the labyrinth, I'm just sort of getting this hit right now, right. is that. It's a giant symbol. Symbols have huge impact on, yeah. on everything, on energy. Now you're walking the symbol. Walking the symbol. Yeah, that so the, the labyrinth is... Now you become part of the actual symbol. Symbols of the unconscious. Yeah. The, the, the labyrinth is a very, uh, very esoteric symbol. That, um, we don't have to get into here, it's, but it... Um, sure we can. Okay. Well... <laughs> um, it, if you ever looked at a, a human eyeball, it, it, it kind of makes a, a labyrinthine um, uh, push back into, as it goes back into your eye. And uh, eggs also have the similar look to it. I, I wish that I could show you some, some guys some wow. images so you guys can see this. But, um, but the labyrinth has always been, you know, you always have the minotaur at the center of the labyrinth in um, Greek mythology. And, um, and it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big one because... Yeah. Um, but if you imagine, imagine now that you're walking it, and if now yeah. it's visually, but now you're kinesthetically, proprioceptively experiencing it at that level. Yeah, there's, there's a reason why we, we like corn mazes and, uh, and yeah. those, like, those maze things and stuff. Um, definitely definitely a deep thing going on there. What was I bringing? I'll make some. You can make some. my own labyrinth. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Definitely. Have you guys heard of uh, Abram, uh, Karim Abr uh, Abram? Uh, he does uh, biogeometry. No. So this is an um, Egyptian. I've seen him a few times. Um, seen him present. And what he does is he creates these. Um, uh, he looked at, he's from Egypt, and he, cr he looked at the different Egyptian hieroglyphics. And what he saw in these uh, hieroglyphics was that very powerful uh, symbols. And in fact, what he was able to do is just by creating these symbols, either on paper or he's also built different medallions. I don't have any with me right now. But he was actually able to put these on people. And um, they did some research. Uh, he was able to eliminate hepatitis C, which freaked out all the Egyptian doctors to the point where they said, you can't do this anymore because now you're embarrassing us because we really don't have a treatment for hepatitis C. I think they do now, but at that time they didn't. So he goes into different uh, cities 
and he puts up these different um, uh, poles with these different symbols and sculptures, which changes the energy of the entire city. He's done that's exactly that's exactly what um, what the black cubes do, except in opposite. Uh, it sucks the energy out of people. So you see uh, a lot of cities with um, with black cubes just around. Uh, black take cubes. for uh, yeah, there's a few in London. Um, the the most popular one, or the most well known one, is the one in the, the, the one in Mecca. No Mecca, yeah, yeah, the one that they they dance around, they, yeah. they run around, supercharge those cubes. They're just uh, siphoning off energy, and then uh, then whoever uh, placed those cubes can uh, can extract that energy. This wow. stuff's real. And um, uh, going back to the labyrinth, uh, our brain is also. Uh, shaped like a, a labyrinth because of the folds in it and everything. Yes. And, um, and, and so the mind so is the ear. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ear is a labyrinth. Yeah. Um, also, um, going back to the meditative states that Anthony and I have, um, uh, can attest that one of the best meditative states, uh, is just having a dialogue with somebody. This, what we're doing right now. Yeah. We're, we're not in our heads right now. There, no. There's, there's no, there's no thinking going on. There's just, uh, straight talking, and that's what I've found also when um when you're by yourself is if you're having these conversations in your head, have them out loud. Just start talking to yourself, and and that way it stops the dialogue in here and it and it sends it out there, and then you're just focused on one thing. And uh, that's, a, that's a good trick. I'm gonna try yeah. that. It uh doesn't work in public though. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> you know what? It does. And the way that you, you do that is you can actually put your earphone in for it looks like you're talking on the phone. Uh, I do that in the car. I do that. Yeah. So a lot of people are sort of, oh, you must be talking to someone. Yeah, and there's no one on the other end. Just okay. just you. <laughs> <laughs> Can't tell who the crazy ones are these days. No. Nope. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> <laughs> Proud of it. <laughs> Got my crazy card. <laughs> you know what I'd like to get back to? Um, I, we kind of went like from the... The training side, we talked about the spiritual side. I kind of like meld the two together. Um, I've studied with a couple of spiritual teachers, and, and one in particular was saying that the my- mitochondria is kind of like the key to evolve spiritually. And with, that, yeah. you, you've heard that too? Uh, yeah, you know, I've been talking about the mitochondria for months. I, I know that this is uh, the key. The, yeah, because the ATP is just is, is human currency it's the human like that's how this is how i'm able to do this because of atp releasing turning into adp and going back into and and the key to all that is is what um the mitochondria needs and mitochondria needs glucose and it needs oxygen to make atp um that's why that's why i do all that breathing the breathing exercises because you know you, you always have glucose inside your body correct me if i'm wrong ken but you always have Humans will always have enough glucose in their body. If you live in a first world country, you will have glucose, you will have fat. Um, no, you don't have that much. Okay, so that's news to me. Because, yeah. um, But when it comes to compare glucose compared to the amount of oxygen inside your body, um, you can only go four mi- uh, on, you know, on average four minutes without, without breathing. True. Um, but you can go a very long time without eating. Um, uh, you can go probably um, without eating um, probably about a month. Yeah, a month uh, without eating uh, water, um, probably less. So you days, you do need uh, you know the but air is the big one. Yeah, and I mean, what is what is water anyway? Water is just, just oxygen. Yeah, and, and so so it's just it's just a different way to get oxygen into your body, um, and then and then also the hydrogen too. But um, 
So, so yeah. So continue, Anthony, with the mitochondria because. Uh, so, um, totally agree. What I remember about uh, the the studies with this one teacher was his philosophy was that just by increasing the energy in the mitochondria, you can increase the uh, complete vibratory rate of the body overall, mm-hmm. which is at a very simple level, like what you need to do to elevate your consciousness um, to, to, you know, move the brain waves from uh, beta to alpha to gamma, I think is the, 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 the highest so mm-hmm. recorded with humans. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, it all comes down to mitochondria, getting more energy into that. So he gave different like um, meditative techniques to do that. He, he used, he used uh, symbolism to do that too. Uh, you mentioned that you use breathing to do that, right? Um, as much oxygen as I can. Yeah. Right. So it'd be kind of cool, like all of us discussing, like, how do you do that? Like, first of all, is it, does, that, does that philosophy make sense, everyone here? But yeah, well, so let's talk about the flip side. So you have a thing called uh, mitochondria dysfunction, um, where the mitochondria aren't working very well. It's probably the number one um, aspect within fibromyalgia. And what fibromyalgia is, is that uh, people that have it specifically and been diagnosed properly, um, they have no energy, they can't sleep, and they're in chronic constant pain. 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 So that's all due to uh, mitochondria dysregulation. And so, and also uh, mitochondria apoptosis. And apoptosis is that it's cell death. So all of a sudden, the mitochondria become less and less. So they self-destruct right. on that. Um, so if you can increase the mitochondria and they're healthy and you're able to produce the energy, you're not in pain, you have increased energy, and you have you know, increased your, – your brain isn't set up all the time on focusing on pain – you can think about anything else in a higher consciousness. So I would I would tend to agree. Whatever that said, the key with the with the ATP also is that people confuse it with caffeine. So they think that like, oh, this ATP is like caffeine. So you know, you just have it in your body and then it dissipates after a while and then you'd be tired. It's like, no, this ATP stays inside of you until you use it. Um, right. And, it, and, it, and it's not like this, this jittery thing or anything. It's it's the most natural thing ever. And I I go back to to school. Sorry. Um, on it because in school, the only thing that I learned in seventh grade biology was um, that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And I always say, I always have this whole dissertation that school is an indoctrination center. You don't learn anything there. But if there's one thing that they taught us, that they taught my generation, is that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Yep. You just focus on the mitochondria and, uh, and, and your life is uh, just exponentially more energetic. Absolutely. 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 And that, you know, that has to do with, you know, what could cause, you know, mitochondria dysregulation, lack of proper food, lack of proper mineralization, um, uh, supplementation, vitamins, minerals, um, uh, toxicity. So we live in probably the most toxic environment in, uh, in North America, being here in Toronto, um, due to Hamilton and, you know, all the smog. And like, I mean, they, they close all the beaches. And then one day they miraculously open up and then they're closed the next day. It's like, really guys, you know, so, you know, we're being bombarded by different bacteria, different viruses, the international joint commission that oversees the great lakes. They've identified 1,132 different toxic chemicals in uh, Lake Ontario. 
um, and you have the nuclear power plants that are there. So you talk to anybody that works out there or any of the fishermen, you have these different fish that are have these giant tumors on them. Mm. So the sale of fish out of Lake Ontario, I think right now is illegal. I don't yeah. think you're allowed to eat them. Um, so that's what we're doing to our society and water. And, you know, and a, go back to water, how, you know, the sewage plants, that all they do is they just, you know, take out the large pieces of wood and everything else. They put, uh, yeah, they put chlorine on it. And what people don't realize with the water, when you drink it out of the tap, you actually have to put it through a filter to take the chlorine off. We're not supposed to have chlorine. Right. Chlorine, uh, I make the analogy, is that chlorine is kind of like the plastic bag that's on your bread. It protects it from the environment. But when you're going to eat the bread, <laughs> you don't eat the plastic. But we do that with the water. We, eat, we drink the water with the chlorine. The chlorine like is protecting it to get to you. But at the very end, you, you need to take it off. Because, I mean, um, I had one study, and this was in... Uh, 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 what is it called? Uh, trimethylhaline, and 30%, no, 10% of all colon cancers in Ontario, this was in Ontario, is due to chlorine. 30%? Um, maybe it's 10. I'm not sure. That's where your story falls apart. <laughs> I could pull, I could see the slide because I've done presentations and it has uh, a tumor in a colon. But yeah, so um, you have to take out chlorine. Um, before you drink the water if there's anything that is the one thing you get out of this podcast get Just yourself chlorine. a filter yeah no no chlorine so i got uh, a i got a mega home distiller i, I distill the shit out of my water and then i i put the the good stuff back into it the uh some a little bit of salt and uh good um, magnesium good good um, yeah you, you gotta have clean water you gotta have clean water so cl- chlorine is bad enough and I can understand why they, they put chlorine to a certain degree. Well, it protects the water. It protects the water. But it's the chloride. Plastic black bag over the bread. Yeah. So once it gets delivered to your house, it's all protected. You take the chlorine off. Fine. Most people don't know that. But the fluoride, that one always escaped me. Like, what, what, what the hell did – who was thinking anything about that? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think and it's not even it's naturally occurring fluoride that no, they put in the water. No, 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 it isn't. You know, and unfortunately – It's from China, too. It just they they thought that it would be good to make your teeth better, and whether or not that is actually even true is I don't think that's true. You can definitely show that it it does, and find studies that it doesn't, and it depends on who's doing the study. (laughs) (laughs) Just just the same thing with pharmaceuticals. Um, So so yeah, so you know the the fluoride needs to be brought out. The bromine, because what happens when you got chloride, bromine. Um, uh, chlorine, all these different ides, um, it actually sits in the receptor of iodine. And we live in what is known as the goiter belt, and it goes from uh, Chicago up through Ontario and out to um, Montreal, meaning that we have less iodine in the soil. So if you have too little amount of iodine, your thyroid doesn't work right because you right. can't make green mm. T4. Um, you get goiters, you get all these different disorders. So what they did is, guess where they put the iodine? The water. No. Where? Salt. Iodized salt. But when you buy salt, it's iodized. But they do that for everybody, right? Yeah, well, they, they you know, Windsor salt, like all the salts that are around here, right. they all have iodine. Now, what do most medical doctors tell you not to have? Salt. Salt. 
because it, it'll increase your blood pressure. So you're not even getting, and you don't get that much iodine anyways. So one of the major disorders we're starting to see is a lot of people have an iodine deficiency. And these are all the women that can't lose weight. Why? Because they don't produce enough T3, T4 in order to change your metabolism. You know, the base hormone. Right. So that's the other challenge you have. So a couple oh, of and, and so if you take the bromine, the fluoride, and chloride, and everything else, it sits in the same receptor as the iodine. So even if you have enough iodine, it wouldn't work. Yeah. So how we... Um you know, and and all this stuff is in like you like if you drink a beer, it's in it's in the beer and the water in that stuff. You drink if you drink water out in um, uh, at a restaurant, it's in it's in there. Um, coffee, so what do, coffee, yeah. What what do we do um, since it's there's no question there's there's no way to live in a first world um, English speaking country. Um, without this stuff coming into your body consistently, is there any stuff that we, you could take that uh, extracts the stuff out into your urine or uh, out some other way? Well, the first level of order is to, number one, not to ingest it and to do the best that you can. So, and like you said, you know, if, you, if you're at a restaurant, can you get purified water? Yeah. Can you get salad? San, you know, San, uh, San Pellegrino or some of these different other. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah so you, you, you can make that choice and make, you know, and you're always going to get exposed. You know, you go outside, you're going to get exposed to, you know, that. that's just um, a problem. But you literally have to, now just because of the depletion of the minerals, the vitamins and the vitality in most of the food. And unfortunately, a lot of the food now is GMO, you know, uh, mm -hmm. modified. Um, so now we're not even getting the nutrients. So you actually have to take supplementation. So you have to take enough herbs and uh, uh, vitamins and minerals in order to optimize the system. Um, probably the first one would be the liver. So even taking something as simple as milk thistle. Milk thistle is fantastic for the liver. Um, and you can take a kidney supplement also. You know, so there's a number of different supplements, and I, I take them every day, and uh, it does make a difference. It really, really does. So saying like B12? B12 is also very good because a lot D3. of people are very deficient in that. D3? D, vitamin D is a huge problem. You know, we don't get enough. In fact, one of the states in the United States has one of the highest uh, amounts of uh, vitamin D deficiency is Florida. Why? Because everyone is dressed up all the time. What do they tell everyone? Don't go out in the sun because you're going to get cancer. <clears throat> yeah, most people don't realize that. So you're always, if you're always covered, not in the sun. And there's a difference between and you know, getting your sun uh, exposure, well, which is yeah, for, well, real, really, real, real quick. Uh, sun is where we get our vitamin D naturally. Just, just so everybody who's listening mm -hmm. knows. Um, but continue. Sorry. Now, do you know where vitamin, how it's made? Most people don't realize. I just found this out about six months ago. So they take sheep's wool, and on the sheep's wool, there's this waxy substance. And what they do is they degrease the sheep's wool, and then they run it through a bunch of solvents, and therefore you get your vitamin D. That's how they make vitamin D supplementation. From sheep's wool. Yeah. <laughs> That wasn't bad enough, the solvent part got me. Yeah, the solvents, you know, and that's, that's the challenge that you have. 
So, uh, but definitely get enough vitamin D either naturally by the sun or, you know, and all you need is 20 minutes. You know, you, there's a difference between getting a suntan and a sunburn. Now I was at a Tesla conference, uh, last year and there was a guy, he's up in Barry and he's produced these blue lights. Um, and they look like uh, halogen lights, uh, sort of like the same thing what you have, but they're at a certain frequency. So if you think of a laser, the laser is usually red. That's 635 nanometers. That's the wavelength. If you go down to 532, it's the color green. If you go down to 440, it's the color blue. Now, the color blue is really good. You have a lot of dermatologists using it for skin disorders. So this guy was going to the University of Waterloo, and he was um, uh, using these blue lights because he had eczema. Well, he's able to uh, eradicate the eczema. But what he also knows is that his vitamin D level went right up. So standing in front of, you know, in a full body naked for about 10 minutes in front of these bulbs, you can get 25,000 international units of vitamin D. So all of a sudden, if you're deficient, you can increase. My, so my D3 has one of these uh, systems. I think it's about $1,000 uh, for this. And instead of taking it by supplementation, outside, don't necessarily, you know, it's the intensity of the sun is too little. And standing outside naked, I know Anthony does it all the time. All the time, man. Doing Wim Hof, uh, <laughs> breathing. <laughs> in the winter? In the, in the winter. That's why the neighbors won't talk to me yeah, anymore. Well, there's probably other reasons. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so that's another way to get your vitamin D naturally. And it's produced inside of your own system, which is even more powerful. And what people don't really realize is vitamin D is not a vitamin. It's an actual hormone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what's this guy's name in case anyone wants to look him up? Is he selling this? Yeah. He sells them up, uh, up and buried. Well, do you guys have show notes? Show notes. No. Notes on this? Well, no. On this podcast? No. No. Okay. So I'll, I'll find out and then I'll come back again. And I'll come back with all this information. All right. There. Okay. It's coming back. I'm coming back. And next time we'll talk about aliens and the mothership. Absolutely. <laughs> this, yeah, this is it. Um, so, yeah. The, so, why, why did he choose 440? I, I'm curious on that. Because you know about the 432 harmonic, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's just um, the wavelength. And you can go even lower. And you can actually even get uh, different effects. Uh, there was guys up from Connecticut. I'll bring in the information. They also presented, and I think they went down to four ten. And what they were able to do is eradicate all viruses and bacteria first pass. Something like ninety five percent, ninety eight percent. So Boeing, uh, all the major airplanes are all starting to buy their system, and it's using an ultraviolet light. It was all based on Nikolai Tesla's work. And how does how, how does that affect like a normal biological system? Nothing. Nothing. No, just viruses and bacteria. And it no. doesn't kill good, the good bacteria. I do that. They won't. Oh, would it kill that? No, no. But if it's in the air, it'll it'll eradicate. That's huge. That's huge, especially in an airplane. Yeah. Because yeah, because all kinds of hospitals. Think of hospitals. Because yeah. one of the problems going into hospitals, you're probably going to get. Um, a bacterial infection or virus based on that. And usually those are super viruses. Yes. Because they're 
<laughs> they've been percolating there for a while. So that's that's the challenge that you have. So yeah, the technology is starting to come out more and more where we're starting to utilize the light frequencies to change the body, which is pretty cool. Laser light has always been known. I use lasers all the time in the clinic to help heal the tissue. At 635 nanometers, it's fantastic to help heal um, uh, skin, um, uh, increase uh, ATP by about uh, 500%. It increases uh, the efflins by 500%. So very, very powerful anti-inflammatory, um, increased on energy. Um, and you have cells on your skin they're called chromophones that takes the laser light, just like uh, the leaves take in the sunlight. We're able to take in that laser light and that laser light is converted into ATP. What? Bingo. That goes back to our prior discussion. It's awesome. Yeah. So what's a device that we could purchase today or tomorrow that does that? There's a number of different devices, but you can even just get uh, your garden variety um, laser pen that you use for presenting. It's 635 nanometers at uh, 5 milliwatts. And you just, and you just stick it directly into your eye? No. <laughs> but what you can do is you can uh, put it on different acupuncture points. Okay, let's talk about acupuncture then. So what color is that? Yeah, it's red. Don't point it at me. Right. So this one, how do I know what, what, what uh, frequency this is? It's it's 600, it'll say. It says 635. Um, do not point in Anthony's eye. Uh, so, yeah. So, this is max output power, 5 milliwatt. Most of them are 5 milliwatt. And because wavelength is... They're wrong. They say that it's 532. 532 would be green. This is red. They got the wrong label on this. So, this is 635. It's basically red. Right. So, so you can put this on, this is large intestine four, which is an acupuncture point, very good for headache, and you could just leave it on here. Can you just describe that point for the people listening? Yeah, it's in between your index finger and your thumb. Is that the one? Yeah, it's called the anatomical snuff box area. So right in here. Actually, no, that's the anatomical snuff can, can show me? Yeah, so it would be right here. Uh, right here. Off camera. You're off camera. Oh, sorry, right here. Right, right back. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. All right. Yeah. Boom. Going to nail it. Um, now, the cool part yeah. is we, we talk about acupuncture. And when I was in Germany for uh, medicine week with about 5,000 medical doctors, there was a guy there by the name of uh, Dieter Junz. And Dieter has uh, three PhDs, um, and he's one of the proponents of biophotons. But biophoton is a light package, and that's how all the cells communicate. They communicate through light. So he creates these different um, uh, lights. And what his specialty is, and he, he's done it many, many times, and people from all over the world fly in, is he's able to pull people out of comas using light. So he's able to increase their energy, ATP and everything else, right. but also activate their brain. So all of a sudden they get out of that state. And uh, super smart guy. So anyways, I was talking to him about acupuncture points and all this. And he says, great. So he, he, has, a, he has a laser and he has different types of lasers. And he says, okay. Uh, he says, Ken, you have a lot of different acupuncture points on the finger, especially around the nail. So he goes like this and he puts the um, 
laser on, and he lights it up, and I think you can see it. Yeah. Okay. Now, which acupuncture point am I getting? I go, pretty much all of them, because <laughs> it lights up your entire finger. ET, ET phone home. ET phone home. So that's, so that's the cool part that you can do with acupuncture. You can Acupuncture is a principle. It's not a technique. You don't necessarily need needles. Needles are very, very powerful. But you can also use laser. You can use pressure. You can use magnets. There's so many different techniques that you can use with acupuncture. Bless <coughs> you. Thank you. I think you uh, might have just got rid of some some toxin using this laser. Right mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so. So the 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 wavelength is um, determines the the color. Correct. So so you're literally looking at a red laser pointer, and it's saying it's five thirty two, and you're like, no, because because it's red, it has red. to be six thirty five. That's right. And uh, and that's fascinating because wavelengths these are the this is what the universe is made out of. It's yeah. wavelengths. It's all and, frequency. And, and so it, it suddenly the, the, the rainbow becomes a, an extremely important symbol as we've, we've been talking about symbols because that's all, that, that's the seven colors of the rainbow. Yeah. Um, and, and, that's, and that's every different type of frequency, uh, of every, type, every type of different wavelength. Um, but, and, and, and the color white has every single color in it. And, and black also is, a, is a, also a color. Those are the two invisible colors that are also, that also should be included in the rainbow. There should be nine colors. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is, um, and so my mind's being blown right now because we just, we just hit on so many different things that truly, truly matter. Um, so can, can we go back to the laser and to increase, um, the power and the mitochondria. Mm-hmm. What color laser? Do, was it the red laser you used for something like that? Yeah, so I would use a red laser. Um, they found that uh, 635 nanometers is also the same uh, frequency uh, for cellular replication, DNA replication. So what it does is restore the cell back to its normal. Because whenever it's traumatized, a lot of times the frequency and the replication is altered. So we've been able to eliminate scars, classic example, by using laser. Right. So something that you've had there for a number of years, you use laser, acupuncture, a number of different things. A red laser. A red, red laser. laser. Um, and that would make a big, big difference. just want to double check. Are there any other like, um, specs you should be considering when you're looking at a laser? Or is it just like a powerful red light does it? Uh, no, it's a laser is different than a light. Okay. Now there is light therapy, which is also powerful, but I just want to see laser. But this is defined as a laser. Yeah. It's, it's packaged light at that level. So what's the difference between a laser and a light? Uh, the intensity. Intensity. Okay. Yeah. So light would be an incandescent light, like a light bulb. It lights up the entire room. A laser light does not. It's a very fine point. Focus, yeah. It's a very fine focus. So that's a function of the wavelength? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so here we have uh, 520 nanometers, which is the color green. 
445 is color blue. That looks like it could fucking cut right through you. Yeah. Well, it depends on the strength of it. Yeah. And um, 405 is the color purple. See if they have green. It's green. Yeah, see, 532, it's green. That's why I'm saying that it's. So if I was to summarize the discussion, if your intent was to um, elevate your consciousness, um, you would do it by using laser, a red laser, <laughs> on, your finger, uh, on your fingertips as you're meditating, <laughs> right? And um, just after you've done your breathing. Exactly how it says in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> don't, but, don't mind the Bible mentioning the red you, laser. No, it doesn't, but where would be a better place? Probably in the sun. Do where you take, where, yeah, when you, and especially uh, first morning sun or just before, because what color does it turn into? Orange, red. Oh, oh my God. Right. So let me ask you a question. Going off on a far Ooh. tangent right now, but that's awesome. Why not? <laughs> do, you, do you think like um, the age-old practice of sun gazing, I've read a little bit about it, and it seems to go like through the eons. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's anything to that, like being able to take in potent energy from the sun early in the morning, late at night? Um, do you think that has any significance to it? Yeah, because what it does is that it changes – um, it, it starts up your brain. So how we actually, how we wake up is we increase the cortisol, but, uh, what you need, the first thing in the morning is light. Right. And if you get a thousand lux L U X, which is uh, a fairly bright light, but, um, that's enough light into the eyes to get your adrenal system working, your cortisol increases, all of a sudden you feel energized. You do that for 20 minutes, it, it can change your life. And it works really well for, especially up here in Canada, we don't get much sunlight right. and we have seasonal effects. Especially this time of the year. Sad. Yeah. So what do they sell? They sell lights that put in front of you that is enough in your brain to actually pull you out of this seasonal affective disorder. So this isn't woo-woo stuff. This is Hell, you can no. go buy them at Costco. You know, this is a normal medical device. You know, probably some insurance companies will cover it, especially if you go into a depressive state. Right. And the way you pull yourself out of a depressive state is you get enough light into the eyes. Can you do it, you know, early in the morning? Absolutely. You know, um, are most people going to be able to do that? Probably not. It's also inconsistent because of clouds. Right. Smog, everything else. But can you do it? Sure. I think you need to be coached on how to do it properly. Yes. And probably even those, remember that we were at the uh, Total Health Show and we saw those sun... What is what's up with that? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the uh, glasses? Um, the slits? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To improve your light, eyesight. No, okay. no, no. They had the slits for sun gazing. Okay. So you can buy special glasses that okay. allow you to do that. That, uh... Uh, yeah, and also bringing back, going back to the sun gazing, you, you definitely have to be in the right environment because uh, not only for for the lack of visibility for the sunlight, but also if you're relying on on, on that kind of energy, you can't be sucking in the, the smog. Also, yeah, um, yeah, there's always that you know factor. But I, I think if you're going to be doing that, 
if, if you, it's like the age old tradition of anything, whether you want to become a breatharian or you need a proper coach, you know, just don't all of a sudden start staring at the sun, you know, <laughs> not, not especially good, at noon, especially at noon, <laughs> not a good idea. So, uh, so that's the uh, medical uh, disclaimer here. <laughs> Do not stare at the sun. <laughs> that's it. When I read about like uh, sun gazing, it wasn't only the light that was impacting people. It was um, they were alluding to the fact that energy isn't only light. That there, there's information in it. There, there's intelligence in it, and, and that that kind of intelligence spread through the solar system, through the sun, through light. Um, which is a fascinating topic. Uh, I don't know whether science has proved that to be true, but I think that was the basis of what uh, Tesla was trying to get at. He was trying to communicate not only information like radio waves, but intelligence. And, and you've been to a Tesla conference. Did they mm-hmm. ever talk about that? Being able to transmit intelligence and how that well, was done? Well, what is the number one thing that we use to, for the internet now? Fiber optic. It's a glass tube. I'm talking about the human as, as the interface point. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah, there was a number. There was plasma machines there. There was uh, a number of different uh, technologies at the Tesla conference uh, that were talking uh, about that and how to, number one, find out what um, energy is and how to actually change it. So there was one guy there. His, this was down in Albuquerque at the Tesla conference. Um, and so his name is Paul Pantone. And what he did is he was able to create through a plasma generator um, enough plasma, I think it was with hydrogen. So he had five. We went out into this most bizarre seminar I've ever been. So we went out to the parking lot. <laughs> it was really crazy. It was pretty crazy. And there was a bunch of guys out there that was his students that um, had lawnmowers. And they had the little device on their lawnmowers. And one lawnmower was running on coffee. Another lawnmower was running on uh, uh, pickle juice, uh, orange juice. Uh, one was on water. It didn't matter what substance, as long as it had hydrogen as liquid. And in fact, uh, Paul uh, built his car with the, machine, the device on his car and was running around uh, in the States um, with uh, the car running on water, which he got thrown in prison because mm-hmm. it is illegal to run your car on anything except gasoline. It's illegal. There's an actual law that says that. He, he ended up in jail. Is that state law, federal law? Don't know. Don't know. So anyways, he was telling us this story, and it was like, it was unbelievable. It's crazy. Yeah. So how long was he in jail for? Uh, that was his fifth time, because they kept throwing him in jail. So the same thing? Um, he did a number of other things. He kept producing free energy. That's a good <clears throat> law, too? That's, yeah, because they don't really like it. You should have came up to Canada. This is the land of the free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, gotta, you guys got to have some nice free speech tri- tribunals up there. Yeah. yeah. Where are you? Yeah, South uh, United States. Okay. South Carolina. Okay. Oh, okay. So you're not from here. Okay. I didn't know that. No, he's uh, an American. Cool. That's why we can't tell him everything. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, so the, um, the mitochondria, the, the, that's one of the big things I'm getting. Well, actually, the biggest thing I got out of their discussion so far is that so you do cardio not to lose weight, but to build your um, 
was it uh, hormone system? Enzyme system. Enzyme system. Build the enzyme system. That's you, you change your metabolism. That's the bottom line. So it, what we didn't talk about is enzyme supplements. Did you, like I've tried, I read a long a while ago. There, I forget the gentleman's name. who's was like the enzyme guru of the states, and he was uh, advocating to taking enzymes as a supplement. Mm-hmm. And, and I did that for about six, seven months. Never noticed a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know anything about enzymes and yeah. supplements yep. and how you should apply them? Well, I think the very first thing is that with any type of supplement, I call it good, better, best. Right. A good supplement is anything. Flintstones. Anything that's shaped like an animal. Jameson's? Okay. Uh, Jameson's is a little bit different. All right. So that's a good supplement. That's, it's cheap. It's low quality. Uh, but at least it's better than nothing. Right. A better supplement is your health food store brands. You know, and we won't name them. But, you know, you can go into a health food store and you can usually see them and they're very good. The best ones are pharmaceutical grade. And this is the one that you usually get from the uh, different doctors, uh, therapists, and they have the highest quality. Um, they are more expensive, but you get what you pay for. Right. And so when someone says, oh, you know what, the supplement didn't work. Well, probably because it was such a poor quality. Mm. So you, a classic one is uh, vitamin E. Um, so you have, if you're going to buy vitamin E, you turn the label around and you want to see D-alpha tocopherol. And what that is, it's a natural vitamin E. If you see D-L-alpha tocopherol, that's a synthetic form. It's not absorbed very well. It's not utilized very well. So all of a sudden, the effectiveness is not that good. Right. So... He's going to go look at his supplements now. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I actually, um, w- with a buddy of mine, we, we made a pre-workout. And I remember one of the, the um, I want to see if I can find it. Um, it may have been the citrulline um, uh, malate. Um, and it, it, there's like three different types of citru- citrulline malate. And, and two of them are actually really bad for you. And yeah. the, the two that are bad for you are um, always in all the all the pre-workouts because it's the cheaper one and they just want to show it that it's on the label. Yep. Um, and um, just by the fact that, that we put the, the proper one in there and then had have a whole bunch of other things that are super healthy in it, um, our price point for the product um, was too high and, yeah. um, and, and it never got off the ground. But I still, to this day, I take this pre, pre-workout and it's, it's uh, I swear by it. Oh, yeah. No, it can, it can definitely uh, make a big difference. But I mean, with, when you say that something doesn't work, you have to first identify what is it that you're actually measuring. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. how you subjectively feel, especially for a digestive enzyme, you may have not taken enough. Yeah. It may not have been the right combination. So you need a high quality. It needs to be taken enough. And number three, do you even need it? Right, because I mean, if your digestive system is working actually pretty good, then you may not need it, you know, as much. You know, we see the same thing with antioxidants. So people say, "Well, I don't notice the difference." Antioxidant is kind of like rust-proofing your car. So when you rust-proof your car and get it sprayed underneath, so especially here in Canada, you know, we get a lot of snow and a lot of salt. You know, that can help the length that the car is actually going to, you know, stay stay on the road because I mean, it won't rust. Will it make it go faster? No. That's not the purpose of it. It's a protective aspect. And it won't won't look different. 
and it won't look different. It will make no difference in performance or look or anything, but it will hold it together longer. And that's what antioxidants do. Right. It can also decrease inflammation, but I mean, now you're looking at as far as what is the dysfunction, what's the metabolic dysregulation, and how do you turn that around? So, so this leads me into like an interesting topic. And we talked about it uh, in a lot of different areas, like when it comes to diet, when it comes to exercise, when it comes to supplements, everything's very individual. Yes. Like what will work for you may not work for me in, in, in any of those categories, yep. right? Yeah. So un until someone comes up with a, a Tesla-like device that tells us the answers to all these questions or they come up with other tests to do this, um, I would think the only thing really available right now is muscle testing. Would you agree with that? Um, so with, with any type of testing, you have four different levels. So you have the subjective. So right. let's just take uh, an example as far as if I have a fever. Mm -hmm. So subjectively, how do I feel? I feel hot. I feel sweaty. I feel shitty. Right. Objectively, if, I'm, uh, if you're looking at me and you see me, it's kind of like, Ken, you don't look that good. You know, you're red, you look pale, you know, just you look off. So that's objectively. Qualitative is that you would put the back of your hand against my forehead and you'd go, it feels hot. Compared to me, I feel a little hotter. Right. Quantitatively, I put take it. Take temperature. I take your temperature. Guess what? I'm 102. You got a fever. So with any type of testing, um, whether it be to determine anything, you need literally all four. What are you feeling? Because that's one of the most important things. Right. What are some different telltale signs that I'm seeing on you? Are there some quantitative tests or qualitative tests, which is kind of like a yes, no? And that's what muscle testing is. It's a yes, no type of thing. And quantitative is that, well, let's measure the amount of vitamin A in your system. We can do that. But we can measure your enzyme systems. We can measure a number of different aspects. So not that one test is better than the other, but you want to be able to utilize as many as possible. And so you, can you muscle test? Um, like what sort uh, of supplements to take? What type of supplements to, uh, to take? And people go, you know, uh, do you do that? And I go, yeah, sometimes. And uh, they say, well, it's not accurate. I go, yeah, I know it's not which usually shocks them because they think, oh, no, it's super accurate. <laughs> you know, there's a huge bias in it. But, you know, so whenever you look at a supplement, there's different levels that you can go by. The very first thing is that when you look at a label, it'll tell you what it does. Right. So, so say you buy, um, I don't know, um, enzymes. So you look at it, enzymes to help digest food, Okay. Then what you do, so that's the first level. That's what most people, that's what the lay public does. Then you turn the bottle around, and either you're a really educated consumer or a doctor or a nutritionist, and you turn around and go, well, what type of enzyme systems and how much is in here and how is it formulated? So now that's at a higher level. A higher level than that is now you want to say, is it compatible to me? And the way that you can determine it is you can do some muscle testing. So you can put it underneath the tongue. And that's one of the things that I do. So underneath the tongue is a thin membrane over a capillary base. So if you do that, it gets absorbed in the bloodstream in about 10 to 15 seconds. 
So people with angina, they take what? Nitroglycerin. Why? Because it can help with heart pain. Um, and people say, oh, it doesn't work. Okay, let's try it with cyanide. <laughs> if you put that in, in about 15 seconds, you're dead. Because it goes not through the gastrointestinal system, but through that, if the molecular weight, if the molecule is small enough, it gets absorbed underneath the tongue. So that's one way. That's probably the most effective way to really determine which supplement that you can utilize. And, and is it good for you? And I, and I do that sometimes. Can you have someone hang on to a bottle and to see whether or not it changes the strength? Absolutely. Is it accurate? No. no. But is it better? So people go, well, no. So when people, I'll have five or six different supplements, say of digestive enzymes from different companies, I don't know which one will work for you because they're formulated differently, they have different percentages and everything else. If I go through the five and I find one that seems to really work for you, then we give that a try. Because the other way is that you look at the label and you go, okay, I think this is it. And they go, um, well, what you do is not accurate. I say, yeah, I know it's not accurate, but what are you doing? Well, I just recommend it. And I say, well, you're guessing. And they go, what do you mean? You're just making it up. You don't know if it's going to work. Right. I'm guessing, too, because I can read the front of the label. I really can read the back of the label because I understand at a high level of what the different supplements and what they all do. And I'm going to see if it's compatible for you. So I'm just taking my guessing a little bit higher. Right. I also realize that there's some inherent problems with it. Can you use German technology to measure whether Vega testing or any of the dermal testing to see whether that's compatible? Absolutely. The gold standard, the highest level for quantitative is probably some testing. And we do this a lot with um, antibiotics. It's the way that it should be done. When you go in and say you have strep throat, they should swab, put it on a Petri dish, and then they put the different antibiotics because they don't know which one will kill the strep. Shit, they never do that. They never do it, but they should. So a friend of mine, he's a vet, and um, I worked with his brother, Ward, who's a chiro. So the vet uh, went to the medical doctor, and he said, listen, my throat's swollen and everything else. And so he just gave him the antibiotic. And he looked at the medical doctor and said, what are you doing? Aren't you going to swab? No. Well, you don't know which one's going to work. He says, well, no, try this one. Try this one. So he goes back. He says, so he, since he's a vet, he does this with all the animals, where he actually swabs it, puts it on the Petri dish, puts the four different antibiotics on it. Oh, my God. So he did it for himself. And the one that he recommended didn't work. It was a different one. So that's, that's the highest standard because you can see physical Evidence. demonstrative changes based on that. Based on this bacteria, this antibiotic will work the best. Do we have that for supplementation? Not as much. Not as much. So, but we can, we, can, we can make differences. So you can measure blood sugar. You can measure specific gravity or surface tension of the urine. You know, these are different components. So as you introduce different things, there can be a change. We're getting better, but it's, it's still difficult. Two, two final questions for you. Um, this is a, a quick one and then, and then uh, one because of, uh, of recent news in, in Canada. So the first question is, what are your thoughts on um, supplements that are proprietary blended so they don't actually tell you how much is actually inside of the... Uh, yeah, yeah, so that usually is in the multi-level world. 
And so mm-hmm. I get probably at least one person a month in my practice that says, I've got this supplement for you. It's unbelievable. And I go, great. I'm open to everything. So what's in it? So they bring it and they have the proprietary brand. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, let's get on a three-person call in this. And so I've been on a three-person call. And I go, what's in it? Can't tell you. I said, <laughs> oh, here's the issue. I have sick people in my clinic. And if I give them something and there's a massive reaction, my ass is on the line because I don't know what's in this product. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. I just thought oh. about it of, of them cheating doses. But it's like if somebody has a negative reaction, you've got to know what the reaction is. Yeah, so you've got to know what's in it. And the, so this whole proprietary stuff is uh, it's basically a marketing aspect. Yeah. Well, it's a scam, but I, you know, I understand what they're trying to do. You know, there's not saying what's in it. Two levels. Number one, no one can rip it off. And the second level is, um, which is probably more the likely aspect, the second level is um, they, they'd want to keep it, you know, from the marketing aspect. So that, that's the challenge that I have with that. So, okay. So final, final question for me is um, October 17th, Canada <laughs> legalized mar- marijuana. Yes. Um, CBD oil appears to be the next big thing in the, uh, in the health and wellness industry going to be going from a $202 million industry to a $1.3 billion industry. Do you have any experience with this, with this, uh, this new, new oil on the block? Um, yes. So I, I worked in a chronic pain clinic for five years with 17 medical doctors and we were using medical marijuana, uh, way before this was back in 2009, 2010 for certain people. Uh, it worked great. Uh, this is CBD oil uh, for certain people. Uh, works great. I have patients that are on it, and it's been awesome. Other patients, absolutely no response. No response. Um, other patients, um, they had a negative response. Hmm. It's a drug. You will always have people. Like, I mean, up here in Canada, I don't know if it's what it's like in the United States. If I walk into an elementary school with a bag of peanuts they will call the SWAT team on me because that's a, it's a peanut allergen. Oh my God. People can go on anaphylactic shock. I eat peanut butter every day. I have no reaction. So everyone is different. And so with the different oils, with the different um, marijuana aspects of it, um, we're seeing some good responses. Other responses are nothing. It's, it's like any other drug. It really is. So, um, so it's not a wonder drug. No, not at all. Okay, not at all. Not not it being touted and going to a one point two billion. That's nothing compared to the other drugs that are out there. Think of the cholesterol drugs. You know how much billions that they made off of that. Uh, yeah, the the issue with uh, with CBD oil and, and marijuana is, is the stigma. So it, it's gonna it, it grows slower than uh, than your your average drugs that that doctors have recommended for, for decades. Yeah. And, and it's just the education. I don't think we understand it that well. Um, we're starting to do a little bit more, but um, I, I think it's, I think it's a great option. Um, whether or not it's going to get abused, not sure. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen all three. It worked fantastic. No effect. And some people that went, yeah, it just didn't make me feel good at all. I was, I was way off. So, Cool. And no, different than food. no different than yeah. food. 
No different than anything else we talked about. Everything is individualized, right? You yeah. know what? If there's anything that you can get out of today is that be, there is no silver bullet. So, well, there is, but you got to yeah. find the silver for yourself. Yeah, right. There's also a bill for the masses. No, we ha- we haven't seen it yet. Um, I-, I think part of it is just a combination. Maybe, maybe love. Is love, love is the solution. Love is the solution. Pono 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 pono. Well, that's a great way to end the end, end the podcast. Yes, <laughs> it's been an awesome discussion, Ken. I got more out of this than I was expecting. I was expecting a lot too. It was fun. It was enlightening. Um, it was memorable. It was memorable. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been wonderful. I'll come back again with uh, research papers and websites and pictures and everything. Do that. Do that. I loved it. This is yeah. Ken. This is the first uh, podcast where I ever took notes. Just so oh wow! Well, I'm honored. Yeah. yeah, you should be. <laughs> Love it. Love, Love it. it. All right, signing off. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. See you.